Welcome to Spotlight. I'm Jordan Stutz, Senior Reporter for Infrastructure Investor. On Sunday, the world's leading oil-producing nations agreed to the largest production cut ever negotiated in an attempt to stop global crude prices from an already historic fall amid low energy demands. OPEC, the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries, which is led by Saudi Arabia, reached an agreement with Russia and the United States to curb global oil production by at least 9.7 million barrels per day. Since February, as Western countries joined China in shutting down large portions of their economies to limit the spread of the coronavirus pandemic, global crude prices have crashed down to between $20 and $30 per barrel. For U.S. midstream companies, which operate assets such as pipelines, refineries, storage containers, and export terminals, Prices this low does not work for anybody, one investment firm said in a recent article on Infrastructure Investor. Now, investors in midstream companies, who still feel burned by how the midstream sector performed during the last period of commodity price volatility five years ago, are questioning whether the returns of these up-and-down assets are worth the risk. Here to break down what it all means and how an oil production cut will impact an energy sector under heavy pressure is a financial expert and veteran of the energy sector, Mark Florian, head of global energy and power infrastructure at the private equity firm BlackRock. Mark, thank you for coming on. How are you doing today? Very well, Jordan. Thanks so much for having me on today. Let's get started with the most recent news, the OPEC-Russia production agreement. I know details are still sifting out of that, but with what we know so far, what's your reaction to the deal in terms of what this means for the U.S. energy sector? I think at this point in time, as it is many times in the energy industry, it's unclear. Uh, Maybe just to step back and give some perspective on it all. The oil market globally is about 100 million barrels per day of demand. And the U.S. has dramatically increased its oil production up to about 13 million barrels a day before this latest crisis. Russia was producing around 11 million barrels per day and Saudi Arabia about 10 million barrels. The coronavirus has had a dramatic demand destruction impact. It's estimated as much as 15 to 20 million barrels per day of demand destruction uh, over the last couple of months. As you mentioned, the OPEC plus members, that's OPEC plus Russia, agreed to cut production by about 9.7 million barrels per day starting May 1st. And there are other non-OPEC countries that also expect to have supply lowered from the U.S., Brazil, Canada, and others. Now, I think ultimately the question is going to be, is this supply cut, which people estimate in total with OPEC+, Plus, as well as these other countries, could be as high as 14 million barrels a day? Is that going to be large enough to offset the longer-term demand destruction by lowering transportation needs. If you look at forward prices for oil today, after this announcement, the near-term oil price for WTI, which is the U.S. index, is about $23 per barrel. Uh, It really hasn't moved. And the year-forward price is about $37 
per barrel hasn't really moved. So I think overall, we think that there's gonna to have to be a continued rebalancing. I think ultimately by the end of 2021, that should have worked it through fully. And there's the possibility we could be back at $40, $50 oil at that point in time. What about midstream companies in particular? I know that institutional investors, you know, they've committed capital to these companies over the past decade as part of infrastructure strategies, thinking that midstream is uncorrelated from commodity price swings. But it seems like the nature of this price swing is really being driven by a drop in demand, which is something that I don't think many people anticipated pandemic or no pandemic. How well suited is an oil-focused midstream asset for an infrastructure portfolio? So there's a number of types of oil midstream assets where you can get a long-term contract for revenues, where you have a minimum volume commitment that provides a minimum amount of revenue and a fixed price for each unit that moves across that midstream asset. Those can be very stable, good investments for an infrastructure portfolio. We also think about a couple other aspects with regard to the midstream business overall. Is it more of a supply push business where you have a producer that's trying to push supply into the marketplace? Or is it more of a demand pull type of business where you have an end user that's pulling that oil in for a final use, such as a refinery? And we find that the supply push type of investments can have more volatility because you're relying on an exploration and production company that in itself is taking commodity price risk to produce more for your pipeline. Can you walk me through how exactly low oil prices from the upstream producer side can boil down to financial trouble for midstream companies? I think it really comes down to two things. It's commodity price risk with regard to the prices themselves, and it's also the volumes that can go through a pipeline. So in the U.S., there are certain types of contracts that are called POP contracts or percentage of proceeds. You as the midstream provider, you get a percentage of whatever the value is of the oil or gas that flows through your pipeline. You can imagine if prices go down, your percentage of proceeds is going to go down in that type of contract. You're taking very direct commodity price risk. The second type of less risky, but nonetheless commodity price linked risk is a commodity price risk that will impact volumes. So if the producer has a lower price and it's not economic for them to produce, they'll stop. And that means less volume that goes to the pipe. So even if you have a fixed price for each unit of volume that passes through the pipeline, you might have lower volumes. And so, you, you know, we, we're very focused on looking at demand pull pipelines where we're not subject to these risks and or supply push situations. What's the situation like for natural gas focused midstream companies? I know gas prices have also fallen sharply over the past year. Are midstream companies in this sector facing similar pressures as the oil industry? Natural gas is a very different marketplace. And, you know, we believe that natural gas is definitely part of the energy transition and it has more diversified end uses. It can be used for power. It's used for heating and cooling of commercial buildings, for residential buildings. It's used for industrial purposes. Even it's used for transportation. So it is a oftentimes a cheaper and cleaner alternative to other sources of energy for those various purposes. So uh, we think it's a very different marketplace. 
gas prices in the U.S. have been very low. Part of that is that a lot of the gas that's produced in the United States, the estimates are 30% or more, is related to oil production. So when you produce oil, you get associated gas or gas that comes out with the oil from a well. With the reduction in the amount of production in the U.S. that's expected because of the coronavirus and the demand destruction we talked about earlier, it's anticipated that this associated gas production will also go down. That actually results in higher prices for natural gas over time. So if you look at the forward curve for natural gas, natural gas prices are expected to be much, much higher a year from now, given that decrease in oil production in the U.S. How much of a factor is debt playing in the health of U.S. midstream companies right now? I know that in recent years, private equity firms have become more active in you know, full-on acquisitions of midstream companies. And in some cases, they've added a significant amount of leverage to help fuel growth. You know, what kind of shape is a highly leveraged midstream company in right now with uh, prices going so far south? It, it will depend on the nature of the company itself. And really what we look at is what is the volatility of the cash flow of the company? And that goes back to the contracts and the types of contracts that they have. Are they demand pull? Are they supply push? Do they have commodity price risk embedded in them? So volatility of cash flow is one factor. And then the second factor is what is the level of fixed expenses in the company? So you think about the cash flow coming in and the fixed expenses going out. And if the fixed expenses are very high, which means in many examples that you have a lot of debt and a lot of leverage on your balance sheet and you have volatile cash flows, those types of companies are going to be at risk. You could have a company that has very, very stable cash flows and has relatively elevated fixed expenses. But as long as there's this difference between the two where you're getting more cash flow than then those fixed expenses, you could have a very stable company even though it has debt on it. So it's really the highly levered midstream companies that have this volatility in their cash flow. Those are the ones that are at risk in a market such as this. I want to now take a little bit of time to talk about some news that BlackRock itself is making today that's related to the U.S. energy sector and power. Uh, which is the final close of the firm's third global energy and power infrastructure fund, raising $5 billion. First off, Mark, can you just tell me a little bit about what this fund is going to invest in? We are a global fund, so it's not just the U.S., but other parts of the world as well. Primarily OECD countries that we invest in. And we invest in power, uh, electric power, uh, both renewable as well as conventional, as well as midstream, as we've been talking about, and utilities. That's primarily uh, the world in which we live in. All long-term contracted or regulated assets, the average contract length in our third portfolio and third fund that you were mentioning is about 15, 16 years. And we're really focused on delivering dividends, substantial dividends over time through having very stable businesses that are very infrastructure-like in their investment premise. Can you give me a sense from when you were on the fundraising trail about whether at least for some investors, midstream uh, is becoming just too volatile. However, I should add the caveat that I'm assuming most of this fundraise took place pre-pandemic. It was interesting. And actually, the final closing of the fund actually happened after the pandemic started and after oil prices made their huge adjustment over the last several weeks. So 
even through that period, we were having very active conversations with our existing investors, as well as ones that were closing into the fund. We haven't seen much pushback in terms of midstream. And I'd say it's really nuanced. And as we were talking about earlier, what type of midstream risks are you taking? And what kind of midstream risks are you not taking? And I think if you have that type of investment premise and focus, you're okay. Investors will will follow that. Um, that makes sense. And you mentioned you know, more attention being put on the investment thesis. What are some of the questions that you were hearing asked about the midstream sector from investors? Uh, what are some of their areas of concern that they need to uh, you know, hear a little bit more about these days? Sure. I think so much of it comes down to volatility of returns and how do you manage those returns. And so the way we've thought about it is there's certain investments that have a very narrow range of outcomes. Those might be long-term contracted asset that has a fixed payment over time, where it's really just renting, in the case of midstream, renting space in the pipe for a fixed fee every month. So that's a very narrow range of outcomes, and I think that's attractive to investors. As long as you think about the range of outcomes, and that does bring into account a lot of the factors we've been talking about. That's what ultimately investors that are looking for midstream exposure want to have in the portfolio, either narrow range of outcomes or limited downside with potential to grow the business off that base. So my last question for you, Mark, I'm going to actually invoke the late and great country music icon, Kenny Rogers, who passed away last month. And one of his songs, The Gambler, he has a line that goes, there will be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. Um, so in this period of great uncertainty among a lot of things, uh, what are your thoughts about hedging on today's volatility in the energy sector? Is now the time to bet on a big energy sector rebound and look for good opportunities? Or should the mindset be more to wait until volatility settles, see what your hand looks like, and then make a move? Really great question, and uh, uh, one that we've been thinking about a lot. I think volatility can actually be the friend of a private investment vehicle such as ours. In these types of markets, if you think about energy companies, they have various ways of funding themselves. One way is to issue equity into the equity markets, the public equity markets, Probably not a great time to do that because equity values are down and there's a lot of volatility. It's hard to enter the market. In that type of market, do you want to put on a lot more debt as an energy company, a publicly traded energy company? Probably not. It may be hard to access the market and there could be a, a lot of volatility in the results you get. So private investors such as us become a great alternative for energy companies to seek partnerships in this type of environment. So we think there could be some really great opportunities that come out of this. That said, I think we need to be incredibly cautious. I had an investor recently ask me, well, do you think since prices have come down, you can actually expect higher returns in the future? And my answer was, I don't expect higher returns, but what I do expect is the investments that we do make are going to be more de-risked than ever, uh, that we're going to look for ways to protect the investment, to build a moat around that investment so it can weather the volatility that we're seeing in the market right now. That again was Mark Florian of BlackRock. If you want to hear more episodes of the Spotlight Podcast, you can check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or PEI Media's various titles online. With Infrastructure Investor, I'm Jordan Stutz. Thanks for listening.